Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. Well, today I would ask that you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Beginning in verse 18, we're going to be considering today and next week God's good design for marriage. Now it's hard, I think, for us to imagine a more important institution than marriage. As we are going to see here in Genesis, marriage was the very first institution created by God. We might say it was the very first non-physical reality that was created by God. Everything else that God creates, we could see. We can walk out the door and observe as we walk through the days of creation. But here, as we zoom in on the sixth day of creation, when God made man and woman, we see God also establishing the institution of marriage. Marriage preceded the church. Marriage preceded governments. It preceded every other aspect of civilization. And in fact, I think we could argue that apart from marriage, none of those other institutions would exist. The church would not exist. Governments, civilizations would not exist. Marriage is the foundational institution upon which everything else is built. However, I don't think it takes us long to recognize that today... In the world in which we live, the institution of marriage is in serious trouble. For a long time in our society, the most significant indicator of of the health of marriage in our society was the divorce rate. We watched year after year as the divorce rate continued to climb in our society. Interestingly, if you look back over the past decade or so, the divorce rate in America has actually declined which we might think is good news. However, when we dig deeper into those numbers, what we find is that the decline in the divorce rate is likely explained by the fact that more and more people are simply choosing not to marry at all, to remain single, or simply is to, to move in with one another and live as a married couple. Our language and our culture that we're using uh, is reflecting this as well. You'll notice that less and less in stores and even in cards that people send and on television and movies, less and less are people using terms like husband and wife. And they're exchanging those words for terms like partner. Further muddying these waters is our own government's embrace of same-sex marriage as having the same legal and moral status as heterosexual marriage. We're undergoing upheavals in our society even now about what it means even to be a man or a woman. And let me just say, if, if our society cannot define, if we've lost the ability to define what a man and a woman is, we have absolutely no hope of getting marriage right. And so I cannot think of a more foundational and important passage of Scripture than Genesis 2, 18-25. 
It's easy for us to recognize the problems all around us. But if we're to have any chance of turning the tide, any chance of proclaiming the truth of God's Word, any chance of passing down a biblical understanding of marriage to our children and our grandchildren, then we must understand God's good design for marriage. You see, every time, every time your child or your grandchild turns on the television, every time they pull out their phone, and more often than not, every time they walk into a school building, they are seeing the world make its case for an anything-goes definition of marriage. And if we're going to have any chance of passing down a biblical understanding of marriage to the next generation, then we must understand and also model what God intended marriage to be. If we fail in this area to understand this and model it, then it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter, frankly, who we vote for, who we elect. Because whoever sits in the White House matters far less than what takes place in our house when it comes to marriage. If we fail to understand and model this, then it's likely that we will indeed end up losing our children. We will indeed lose our church if we cannot pass this down to the next generation. And so the stakes couldn't be any higher. So much hinges on getting this right. Now before we get into these verses, before we begin talking about this, I just want to say before we begin that I know that there are likely people in this room who are already feeling your hearts racing as I start talking about this. You're feeling your hearts ache. You know that your marriage is not what you had hoped that it would be. Perhaps you've already experienced divorce. Perhaps you've never had the opportunity to be married. Maybe you're married and you just keep blowing it day after day after day. Or maybe you're married to somebody else who keeps blowing it day after day after day because after all, you're not the problem, right? They are. Let me just say right now, not all is lost. There is still hope. Not one of us is going to get this perfectly right. Because we're all struggling with the effects of the fall and the curse of sin. That's what Jesus came to fix. Jesus had to die for your marriage. Whether it's been a success or a failure, Jesus had to die for your marriage. For your failures. For your heartbreak. For your loneliness. So understand right now, as we strive to paint a picture over the next couple of weeks of what marriage should be based on Genesis 2, we have to understand Jesus came to redeem every aspect of our lives, including our marriages. So whether you've been married for 50 plus years, whether you've been married and divorced, whether you're afraid you're headed for divorce right now, whether you're a young person who's hoping that one day you might be married, 
We all need to know and understand what God's good design for marriage really is. This text is not a weapon that's intended to beat people while they're down. This text is a gift that God has given us to show us the depths of His love in providing for us this good institution. It's a gift that's meant to show us that there is a better way. It's a gift that's meant to cut through all the confusion in our society. This text is a gift for your LGBT neighbors and co-workers and family members. Because it shows them that the path to true joy, the path to true happiness in a fulfilled and gratifying life, lies in another direction from where they're heading. We want them as Christians. We should want all people, whether married, divorced, single, sexually confused, whatever it might be, our goal should be that for ourselves, for our friends, for our family, for our neighbors, that they experience the good gift that God intended for them. And so this text is meant to offer those who are hurting hope. It's meant to show what God's plan looks like. And where we fall short of that plan, because we will fall short of that plan, it's meant to direct us to the ultimate hope that we have in Christ. So do not despair. Do not give up. If you feel like you've already blew it, like you are like you needed this message 10, 20 years ago, because all is lost, all is not lost. There is hope. There is joy for you in this as well. So if you are able, I would ask that you Please stand together with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we consider Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18. There it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, And we're not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And once more, let's pray together. God, we come to you today recognizing that in this one area, this one foundational, important area, that there is so much hurt and confusion all around us. That it's hard to even begin where to, it's hard to even imagine where to begin sifting 
through it all, sorting it out. (coughs) And yet, Lord, we see here in your word, you have given us a good plan, a good design for what marriage ought to be, what it was intended to accomplish. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to just take a step back and consider your word today. I don't know where everyone in this room is coming from. I imagine there might be some here who already are angry because they've come to embrace the world's perception of marriage. And this flies in its face. There are some here who have hurt, who are hurt, because their marriage did not turn out the way that they had hoped. There are some here who are perhaps suffering in silence because to the world it looks like they are happily married and yet within their own hearts and perhaps even within their own homes there is nothing but chaos and frustration and tension. Lord, I pray that your word would be a healing salve on all those that are hurting. Lord, I also know that there are those in our midst who have loved you and loved their spouse faithfully for many, many years. I pray that for them too, this text would be an encouragement. That they too would see that while their marriage has been a wonderful blessing, that there's still been failings. There's still been a great need for grace and the peace that only Jesus provides. Lord, I pray that today through your word, that you would fill all of us with that peace. That you would heal marriages that are suffering fracture. That you would heal old wounds in our hearts. And Lord, that you would bring us all into submission to Christ Jesus, knowing that that's where every healthy marriage begins. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. The first thing that I think we can see in this passage very clearly based on God's own words is that men and women are meant to cure one another's isolation. Men and women cure one another's isolation. You see, throughout the creation account that we read in chapter 1 up to this point, every single thing that God has made, He has declared to be good. Even the summary statement at the end of chapter 1, it was all very good. However, here in Genesis 2 in verse 18, God says something shocking. He says that one part of His creation is not good. That it is not good for man to be alone. At this point in the creation story, Adam has been made. We looked at him being formed from the dust of the earth last week. The animals exist around him. The plants that God has made. But there is no other creature like Adam. He is alone. In order to underscore this point, God provides a bit of an object lesson for Adam. You see, Adam's been placed in God's creation as steward of that creation to care for all of the animals, all of the plants. And so God brings a number of these animals and he parades them in front of Adam. I imagine that would have been quite an incredible parade to see all these creatures that God had made 
just discovering what it was like to be alive. Seeing the elephant's trumpet and the dogs jumping, all of these animals delighting in their existence. And so God brings them all in front of Adam. He parades them in front of him. And he gives Adam the task of naming these animals. Now, let me just say, it's likely that these names have been lost to history and so they have not been passed down to us. So we can't blame Adam for names like Aardvark and Possum. Right? That probably wasn't the name that he gave them originally. But nonetheless, God does this in order to show him his lack, his loneliness. Because coming in front of Adam, there would have been, I don't know, elephants, something like an elephant. And Adam may have noticed, wait a second, that elephant's different from that elephant. There's different appendages that some of them have and some of them don't. That dog is different from that dog, and yet they're like each other. They're companions. They're, they go together. And as Adam observes all these animals, as he gives them these names, this would require him to examine these animals' features, their personalities, and he's seeing there's, there's nothing really that's like me. I'm one of a kind. Yeah, the, the cows and the horses, they both walk on four legs. They eat grass. There's similarities between them, but there's nothing that's, that's like me. God does this to underscore Adam's loneliness. Adam would have seen there's a boy and a girl of all these other animals. A boy and a girl of a horse, a dog, a cat. All these other animals, but there's just me. Now, God could have just formed woman from the dust at the same time that He formed man. But he doesn't do that. He goes about making woman this way for a very specific reason. God wanted Adam to appreciate his wife. He didn't want Adam to see her as just another creature paraded in front of him. She wasn't going to be like a dog or a horse, certainly not like a cow. Adam didn't want to make that mistake. God wanted Adam to see her as another creature like himself. Distinct, unique from every other creature. You see, man was made in the image of God. And so therefore, man and woman was designed for one another. Both created in the image of God, both created alike. In order to cure the problem of loneliness and isolation. So they could have someone like themselves. Another creature who they could relate to, who could relate to God with them. Now this obviously hasn't been a cure for everyone. Again, some of you may be thinking, well, what if someone like me who's not been married, who's been married and divorced, who's been married and widowed? I understand that this has not been a cure-all for everyone. I have very dear friends who have never been married and who want to be married. And each year they grow older, they're wondering, is it in the cards for me? I have very dear friends who have been married and divorced. 
Some of them are quite lonely. I have friends that are married, and yet they are lonely, isolated, even within that marriage. So it's obvious that just because God's good design is intended that marriage is to be a cure for isolation, that does not necessarily mean that we always are going to get this right. And even if we do get it right, we realize that eventually death is going to come along and separate us from our spouse. And so we need to acknowledge right off the bat that although God has a good design for marriage, sin has messed that up. Our own sin has messed that up in our own marriages. We all need grace and mercy in this area, and that only comes from Jesus. So if you recognize that in this area, you're not living up to God's good design. In any of the areas we're going to discuss today or next week, you're not living up to God's good design. Your marriage doesn't look like what Scripture describes here. The answer is not to just grit your teeth and try harder. The answer, similarly, is not to just throw your hands up in despair and say, well, there's no hope. The answer is to look to Christ who gave His life so that we would not have to live in loneliness and isolation. As a matter of fact, we'll talk more about this later, but that's exactly what Paul tells us to do in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Husbands, if you want to know how to love your wives, if you want to know how to have a thriving, healthy marriage, then love your wife like Christ loved the church. And He gave Himself up for His church. That's the pattern that we're to follow. Jesus came not only to save us from our sins, but so that we could know how to be better husbands, better wives. Here's where the gospel is good news for our marriages. You see, your spouse cannot and will not love you perfectly. They have failed. They will fail. Young people, one day you're going to meet a boy or a girl and they're just going to absolutely capture your heart. You're going to be smitten. You're going to make puppy dog eyes at them and want to be around them every moment of every day. That feeling, if you are fortunate enough to marry that person, will change to some degree or another. It will become different. That love and affection that you feel at the very beginning... It will mature. That's not a bad thing. But you're not always going to feel the same excitement. Some of you have been married for a long time or even for a short time. Perhaps you're realizing this. The excitement wanes. But the good news for us is that Jesus Christ has already loved us perfectly. He has already left heaven He has already come to the earth and died and then rose again and returned to heaven to do what? To prepare a place for us. So that when we acknowledge our failures and trust in Christ to forgive us of our sins, not only are we made right with Him, but we're actually able to love our spouse better. To forgive them as Christ has forgiven us, and then to ask them for the forgiveness that we need. 
And when we trust Christ and when we realize that Christ has loved us unconditionally, giving His own life for us, dying for us, then whether we encounter divorce or death or fights or whatever it may be, we don't have to be devastated because all of our hope and dreams weren't wrapped up in that spouse to begin with. All of our hope and dreams, hopes and dreams are wrapped up in Jesus Christ and in the promises that He has made for us. Promises that He has made to us. The hope of heaven. The ultimate cure for loneliness and isolation. And so we see that Jesus had to come to die for our marriages. Yes, our marriage was intended to be a cure for isolation, for loneliness, and that would have been great if Adam and Eve would have existed in a state of sinlessness in the garden forever in perfect relationship with one another and with God, but that state did not last. And so what was meant to be a cure for loneliness and isolation after the introduction of sin into the equation could never live up to that hope. Christ had to come to be our ultimate cure (coughs) for loneliness and isolation. The second thing, though, that Genesis chapter 2 teaches us about God's good design for marriage is that men and women complement one another. Men and women complement one another. What we see here is that first, while Adam needed someone who was like him, God says a helper fit for him, someone who is like him, Woman is also different from man. And that difference is important. So they can complement one another. So they can fill up what's lacking in one another. And so God creates Eve different from Adam while still being equal to him. She is like him, made in the image of God, but has distinct physical, mental, and emotional attributes that complement Adam's attributes as a man. To say something that's incredibly yet surprisingly controversial in our world today, let me just go on record as saying men and women are fundamentally different. And that difference is a good thing. There are certain attributes that seem to be baked into our very being. Men, by and large, tend to be protectors and providers. Women, by and large, tend to be nurturers. More compassionate. Now that's not to say, obviously, that men cannot be compassionate. That women cannot provide. But generally speaking, we see men and women sort themselves along certain lines. There are distinct physical differences. Not only in our reproductive organs, but in our muscles and our bone structures. Which is why, by the way, it's so egregious That our society is allowing men to compete against women in sports? As a father of daughters who love to compete, play sports, it's infuriating to think that one day all of their hard work and practice could come to nothing if they're forced to compete against young men whose bodies have developed differently. Our society is attempting in every way possible to just blur the lines between men and women, to flatten out the differences, to pretend as if those differences do not matter. 
To say that men and women are exactly the same in every way. But the Bible paints a very different picture. The Bible here shows us that women bring valuable assets to the table that are not found in men. Adam, by himself, as a man, was not capable of fulfilling all that God had in store for him. God said, it is not good that man is alone. He needs a helper fit for him. Sam Alberry gave an example of this in the event we took the youth to a couple weeks ago. He said that there's a Fortune 500 company. It was actually called, I looked this up, the, the name of the company was Monolithic Power Systems. It's a Fortune 500 com- company. And in 2021, <coughs> pardon me, just a couple of years ago, it was the only Fortune 500 company that had an all-male board of directors. And when that knowledge became public, I don't know who discovered this, but it became public that this company has an all-male board of directors, there's an outcry. They need representation from women on this board of directors. Now, imagine, what if that company would have put out a press release and they would have said, okay, we recognize there's a problem here, we don't have enough diversity of opinion, and so in order to solve this problem, we're going to add ten more men to the board of directors. Would that have satisfied anyone? Would the outcry have said, okay, you've solved this problem, good? Well, no. Because we recognize that men and women are inherently valuable because they bring something unique to the table. Women bring something unique to the table that men do not have. Now, if that's true in the boardroom of a Fortune 500 company, it's also true in our own homes, in our own families. God designed marriage so that the unique attributes of men and the unique attributes of women, each one equally valuable, would complement one another. As we read this, some have taken issue with the way this is worded. Some have taken issue with the use of the term helper that God uses. God says, I will make a helper fit for him. As if God is making woman to be some sort of assistant, a glorified secretary to Adam. But when we look at this word, we see that that's not the case at all. In fact, when you read through the Bible, who do you think that the word helper is applied to and used to describe more than anyone else? God uses the term helper to describe himself more than anyone else in Scripture. In Exodus chapter 18, verse 4, we're actually told that Moses, the one who wrote these words, named his own son Eliezer, which means, we're told, God is my help. In Psalm 115, verses 9 through 11, Israel is exhorted, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. It's the exact same word in Hebrew that's used here in Genesis 2. In each of these cases, the helper is actually the stronger and more powerful partner in the relationship. So do not think that the use of the word helper here in any way diminishes The woman's role. It's a word that God applies even to Himself. 
The reality is that our culture, under the guise of feminism and advocating for women's rights, has actually worked to diminish the significance of women and their God-given dignity. God's initial command to the man and woman was twofold. They were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and then they were to subdue it and have dominion over it. Both of these commands, filling the earth and subduing the earth, require men and women to work cooperatively with one another. We don't need a biology class here to understand that without a man and a woman, a daddy and a mommy, you don't have babies. Right? You cannot fill the earth without men and women and their complementary roles. But even the second part of the command, to subdue the earth and exercise dominion over it, requires both men and women working together to accomplish God's purposes. <coughs> the world, however has sold women a lie. The world looks at this and says, you don't want that, women. You don't want that because if you follow those rules, that's going to relegate women to the kitchen, to the nursery. You're going to have to stay at home and live up to some 1950s Betty Crocker ideal of what women are supposed to be. But that's not at all the idea that God has whenever He creates Eve. He creates Eve for a dynamic, exciting existence. One that's filled with value and importance and significance. Yes, it is true that women often take a primary role in child rearing. But that's not a minimizing of a woman's role. I mean, what job could be more important? What job could have a greater significance in shaping the course of a society? and the future generations of a family than nurturing and caring for children. But even beyond that, we see women praised in the Bible for securing an inheritance for their family, the daughters of Zolophad. <coughs> we see Jael in one of my favorite Bible stories, the book of Judges, driving a tent stake through the head of Sisera bringing victory to the armies of God. We see Esther advocating for her people and saving the entire Jewish race. She didn't do that as a great warrior. She did that as a woman, using the faculties that God gave her to save her people. We see Ruth laboring to ensure the survival of her family and establishing the line of the Messiah. We see Miriam leading the people in worship after crossing the Red Sea. And we see humble Mary submitting herself to the will of the Lord in order to bring the Messiah into the world. Women, do not believe that just because your role is different, that just because your role is complementary to that of men, that it is any less important or any less exciting. Understand that God has made us unique for this purpose. He intends it for our good. God doesn't want you to be lonely and isolated. God doesn't want you to be without a helper. Marriage was intended to address those problems. But as we've already seen, we often sadly miss the mark. We don't love one another well enough. 
We selfishly pursue our own purposes and goals. Rather than the complementary unified goals that God would have us pursue. And even in the best marriages, we are separated by death and return to a state of loneliness and isolation. We need to recognize that the only helper that's going to solve these problems is Jesus Christ Himself. It is only when our hope is cast entirely on Him, when all of our dreams and and satisfaction is dependent and contingent on Christ alone, that we will find our ultimate cure for loneliness, an ultimate complement to fill what is lacking in ourselves. Yes, marriage is and remains a good thing. Our marriages, we need to understand though, if they are not living up to the standard that God has called us to live in, need help. Maybe today you need to come with your spouse and pray. Maybe you need to take them by the hand and commit to loving them better, to complimenting them under the headship of Christ. Maybe you are divorced. Maybe you are not yet married. Maybe you need to come and pray that God would comfort you in your loneliness. Maybe you need to set aside your bitterness with the hand that you've been dealt and trust that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for you today. Maybe you need to talk to me about scheduling a time for counseling. My door is open. I love nothing better than sitting down with a couple and going through marriage counseling together. Because I know and have seen that when we strengthen our marriages, when our marriages are strong, then our families are strong, our church is stronger, and our community is stronger. Despite God's good design, we need to realize that our spouses are ultimately not enough. Every single one of us, whether happily married, unhappily married, single, widowed, divorced, we need to find our ultimate joy, our ultimate hope in Christ Jesus. And when we submit our lives to Him, we will find that He is our cure for loneliness. He is our helper. And He will enable us to better love our spouse, to better love our children, to better love singles and those around us. But it all starts with submitting ourselves to Christ. And so if you have not done so today, I would urge you, submit yourself to Christ. Look to Him to be your ultimate hope. Sometimes we put our spouses, we put too much pressure on them. We expect them to do too much for us, to meet all of our needs, to satisfy all of our longings. And indeed, if we were sinless, we might be able to do that. But we're not. We haven't been since the garden. So we need Jesus, every single one of us. No matter how good, no matter how bad your marriage has been, we all need Christ. It starts with Him. Let's pray. God, we come before you today grateful for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Even when our spouses let us down, even when we are the one that's letting our spouse down, we know that there is grace and mercy to be found at the cross. And so, Lord, today, I know that there is so much more 
that I would love to say about marriage. There's so much more that your word reveals about marriage. But I pray that what's been said today would not return void. I pray that you would begin using your word to heal and strengthen and mend our marriages and make them better. To make them stronger. Lord, help us to be faithful to pass down this ideal to our children. To not only tell them that this is what's expected, but to show them in our own homes, in our own lives. And Lord, for those who are here today and are heartbroken because of divorce or death or sin, Lord, I pray that you would comfort them. Comfort them with the sure knowledge of the love of Christ and His abiding presence with them. Remind them, Lord, they are not alone. Lord, if there is someone here who needs to come to know Christ for the very first time today, I pray that today would be the day that they do so. Laying it all before Him and trusting them. And trusting Him with their whole heart. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.